What if you could get really good grief support for just $3 a month? If you're navigating life after loss, but are a little tight in the money department, consider becoming a patron of Coming Back on Patreon. Listeners who support this podcast on Patreon receive weekly grief journaling prompts released every Monday morning and a once a month private grief hangout with me. If you're looking for an easy, inexpensive way to stay in touch with your grief, become a patron now at patreon.com slash Shelby Forsythia. Your monthly pledge helps me keep this podcast on the air and allows me to produce online courses, books, and very special grief experiences for grievers just like you. Get started now at patreon.com slash Shelby Forsythia. Thank you so much for listening. Hi there, and welcome to Coming Back, a podcast about coming back to life after death, divorce, diagnosis, and more. Today, I'm speaking with Tammy Falls, whose childhood cancer diagnosis gave her an early introduction to the idea of mortality and death. We're discussing the danger of seeing death as a failure, how we can use our own mortality and our list of deathbed regrets to motivate ourselves to live the lives we actually want to live, and how feminizing grief, instead of using those power-through masculine coping tools, can help us honor the light and the darkness of loss. I'm Shelby Forsythia, an intuitive grief guide and author who speaks, writes, and teaches powerful truths on grief and loss. My mom's death in 2013 set me on the path to becoming a lifelong student of grief, and I use what I learned to create a world where grief is welcomed, normalized, and even embraced. Because even through grief, we are growing. Let's get started. Tammy Falds is an ICF certified coach, grief recovery specialist, the Daring Way certified facilitator, 500 hour certified yoga teacher, and all around perspective shifter, who uses her skills to help people around the world rewrite their inner stories and choose their own adventures through life. Tammy has an arsenal of techniques and life experience under her belt, from positive psychology and guided meditation to being a cancer survivor and world traveler. Tammy believes that death and loss are a part of life and that facing them doesn't have to be scary. In fact, it can be beautiful, fascinating, thought-provoking, and the key to a more fulfilling life right now. Grief Growers, I'm so excited to introduce you to Tammy Falds, whose website literally says, spoiler alert, you're going to die. And so much of her work is talking about how thinking about death can inform our lives. So Tammy, welcome to the show and please share your love story with us. Oh my gosh, how long do we got? Um, basically, mine started at the age of six when I was diagnosed with cancer and went through chemo radiation in the hospital for a year. So I mean, that was the first, you know, big significant loss, um, even though I was probably too young to really comprehend what was going on. And yeah, through the years, you know, everything from, um, I mean, there's over 40 types of loss, right? So everything from moving, going to university, to traveling the world, leaving home for that, death of my beloved dog. Um, yeah, through to working with seniors. I used to work at home care for seniors and sat bedside a few times uh, in their final stages, uh, sitting bedside with my beloved grandmother when she transitioned. Um, friends, uh, you know, when I was in Australia traveling, a friend of mine was killed in a car accident. And that was the first time I had someone in my 
age range uh, that had a tragic death as well as another friend who completed suicide you know, through to, yeah, I mean, all the, um, just all the ways that loss shows up in our life. But those are kind of, you know, the major, major ones, I would say. It's kind of a lot altogether. And the first thing that's coming to me that we've never talked about on the show before is this um, concept of being an old soul. Mm -hmm. And I find sometimes, especially working with clients that um, children who have illnesses at a really early age or somehow experience a death or a loss in the family at an early age, they like know mortality Mm -hmm. differently than other kids or even some other adults who have never had a huge loss like this. So I wonder if you identify with this term old soul slash how did that evolve if at all um, into this? I'm always aware that I could die and that informs the entirety of the rest of my life. Yeah, no, precisely. And it wasn't, obviously it's something you think about later in life, not when you're eight years old, Uh, but definitely it has informed that, especially because of my annual oncology appointments, right? So walking the hallways and seeing the people in various stages. And here in Toronto, we have cancer specific hospital um, so just seeing that and, and knowing that people are on these different parts of their journey, you know, much like grief and kind of remembering, you know, how things were like, I still remember vividly things that happened during that time. And probably it was heightened because of, you know, that state I was in, I wasn't like a normal kid learning math and spelling. I was learning about, you know, all these different types of way to, um, take better care of myself and, and just navigating yeah, the hospital system and that sort of thing. Um, and then, yeah, definitely having that inform. It wasn't until, cause when I started coaching, I was doing, you know, life coaching and then I layered on, um, yoga. And so that became a more holistic mind, body, spirit and layering on Brene Brown stuff on top of that. And then that was all great, but I kept getting this knock about death and how this fear of death really holds people back because I mean, I'm not going to start a new business or, um, leave my marriage or whatever it is that your soul is calling you to do because you're like, well, if I do that, you know, if I start the business, it'll fail and I'll end up living under the bridge and be eaten by wolves. You know, like that's kind of where our, our head goes and realizing like, and I can talk more about that later, but yeah, this, this death thing has always been a, a string throughout my life. So whether it was, you know, uh, the cancer thing or even just always being drawn to working with seniors and hearing all about their stories of death and loss. And they actually were the catalyst for me to go travel because I was 26 years old working in physiotherapy at the time and, and home care for seniors and just asking them, you know, cause I think the greatest classroom is just at the foot of a senior citizen who has, I mean, especially at my age, you know, like about then it was like, they lived through the depression and I'm just like, how do you, how do you navigate life? And, and what do you have looking back like that you would tell me as this 26 year old, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and all of them, 100% Shelby, were like, travel. Do it now. See the world while you can, you know, because if you wait, you know, wait till I'm retired and I have money, they're like, it's never going to come. <laughs> you know, or it'll just be such, I mean, not saying never, but might as well do it now. So I literally heeded their advice, <laughs> quit, and went off to Australia um, for a year, like literally the other side of the globe. Uh, but they, it was kind of, talking to them about death and their deathbed regrets that, yeah, spurred me into action. So seeing that, and then again, as I was coaching, all this death stuff kind of just kept knocking on my conscience. As I look back, I'm like, oh my gosh. And my mom even worked in a, a nursing home her whole career. So I'd always been in and out of there. So I just, yeah, I was like, oh, well, 2020 vision <laughs> is, oh, right. I've always been, and I've always kind of seen more death as a teacher 
you know, than this fearsome grim reaper that comes in the night and steals people from you. Um, I really do see it more as like, a, oh, it's, and even in my work, I try to feminize grief and see her as more as the, you know, the coffee cup holding, maybe she's in some flowy gowns and she just wants to, you know, sit and have a chat. And she's not, yeah, this thing to be feared. She's actually a great teacher, but we're just so scared of her because of all the narratives we've been taught. Um, but yeah, we don't want to sit and talk about it. I literally have so many questions for you just based <laughs> off of that. Okay. Um, the first thing I have to tell you is I, when you're talking about your mom working in a nursing home and then sitting at the feet of seniors and then having this experience as a kid, I kind of see you as like this nucleus of grief, death, loss conversation where all of these pieces of information are literally like, like planets orbiting around you. And you're like, I have all of these things to pull from. And you kept saying there's the knock at the door, the knock at the door of death is involved here. Death mm. is a part of this. Um, the first thing I want to touch on is fear of death holds people back is what I wrote down for you. But uh, you talk about people being afraid to start businesses, people f- being afraid to leave marriages and that, oh, I'm getting chills as I say this, but um, I think a lot of people make a connection between failing mm-hmm. at something and dying as if death is the ultimate failure. Yeah in our lives. And so I'm wondering if you can speak to that connection at all, because it, you know, if you start a business and it goes south, like you're not going to physically die, but to be under mm-hmm. a bridge to, you know, to be out of money, to declare bankruptcy, like all these things are quote unquote failures. And I think to fail is to die in a way, but then if you flip it to die is to also fail according to this Western narrative mm-hmm. box that we live in. I know people can't see me. I'm drawing a box <laughs> in the air um, with my fingers. So I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit or if you've seen that. Yeah. Well, and usually what I'll say to that is, well, especially for you and I being in the Northern hemisphere, like look at your window right now, it's winter, which is kind of the death of the seasons, you know, and we need this time. It's not a failure. We need winter to give birth to spring. We take an in-breath and then we release it, and that's sort of a, a death, you know. Like you can, have, it, death is everywhere. We're just so again in that narrative of it's this thing that comes and <laughs> steals things from me that I am not ready to let go of. And failure definitely comes into that because again of that narrative. Whereas I only see a failure if you don't learn from it, and that's why I always think like, and again with this integration of light and dark, it's. You know, it's sunny right now outside, but it's going to get dark later, which can also be seen as a death. And you need that darkness in order to see the stars. Like we need, it's this beautiful balance of the two that we need, but we're so focused on, I mean, look in your magazines and on TV and, you know, anti-aging and, you know, li- you know, live as long as you can and fight it all to the end and resist, 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 you know. Was it that dying against the the dying or yeah rage Rage against against the dying dying light? Yes, yes, I remember that poem. Yeah, and I'm more of again, let's feminize that a bit because right because the rage is very you know like a masculine, um, moving, powerful sun sort of thing. What about if it was more of like a moon sort of approach of well, what if we acknowledged and accepted that it's a part of life and not a failure? Which actually, if you look at our Western medical system, right? Like I know doctors take on a lot of that. Like I failed you if you die. Or even in Canada here, a big conversation right now is medical assistance in dying. Yes. And and a, and a huge debate for people because, well, who are we to bring that to someone that's really seen as more of a compassionate way to end? But they're always taught, right? Like you fight and you keep treating and you over 
you know, medicate and do all these things when, well, what if there is a bit of a softness there and, and a, an awareness and acknowledgement um, and to help them? Because, you know, like what's the opposite of unassisted or assisted dying is just unassisted dying, right? So, correct. you know, it's not living longer. Or like it's just, yeah, well, we can help you with this, this transition. And that ex- for me, it's just that acceptance, <laughs> you know, kind of that acceptance that um, light and dark both exist. And again, it's how you, how you, and that's why your words are so powerful. I would say like your word is your wand, right? So if you want to believe that failure is bad, then you're going to be terrified of it. But if you see it as a part of life, and even um, Sarah Blakely, the owner of Spanx, <laughs> to take a little mm-hmm, bit of a right turn, mm-hmm. but she always <laughs> said um, at her dinner table, it wasn't like, oh, what's the highlight of your day? Her dad would ask, well, how did you fail today? Because you should every day you should be trying something new and that's not always going to work. It's always an experiment. I love that little mind shift. Oh, I love that because it incorporates failure or just acknowledges failure as a necessity as like kind of um, woven into the loom already. And so inseparable from the picture of the whole Um, there's a really, I want to immediately transition into grief and the divine feminine, because there's this painting that I'm thinking of right now. And I don't recall what century it's from, but it's of um, a, a woman in the physical world with a cradling a baby in her arms. And it's the title of the painting is called something called like being visited by death or the kiss of death or something like that. And it portrays death as this other woman, not the one holding the baby, standing over this woman's child and kissing the forehead of the baby. And she has, she's dressed all in white, these beautiful flowing clothes and has like, um, like a weapon of some, like a sickle or something like tucked behind her back. And it's not menacing. It's like, I am blessing your child before I take it away. And the, the implication, I get chills talking about this, Mm -hmm. but the implication is that a child is dying and death is coming to whisk it away. But instead of this Westernized grim reaper, that's eight feet tall in the black robes and the scythe, and I'm going to chop your head off and you have no choice. You're my prisoner. Kind of that, that sense. um, It's something that feels enormously, compassionate and like a total 180 of what we teach ourselves about what grief, death, loss, failure, the end of a life is. And every time I see it, I'm like, I'm so glad that exists. Um, Because while it might not be comforting to a lot of people listening right now, I know a lot of people are like, death is death. And it was still the worst thing that ever happened to me. I think how we choose to frame death in our minds is important for how we live. So I literally just wrote like a Venus symbol, Venus symbol grief. <laughs> Let's talk about um, the feminizing of grief. Cause I do a bit of this in my work too, but I, I um, come at it from let's just make grief human as opposed to uh, a monster, a killer, the ultimate destroyer, um, a, a invincible power that comes in to crush us. And I'm like, what if we just made it human? So not all the way to genderizing it, mm-hmm. but like I, but I think there's something to be said for living in a patriarchal society that says you're either, if you're not succeeding, you're failing. So if you're not living, you're dying and yeah. that's bad, bad, good, very yeah. um, white, black, black, white yeah. categories. Whereas uh, a female centered world or matriarchy is this very mm-hmm. cyclical, it feels more inclusive. Yes. Exactly. And that's why I say this, look at your window. It's the nature, it's the cycles, it's the seasons that are inherent (laughs) in us, you know, regardless of where you think if we're made of stardust or whatever it is, it's like, why would we want to fight against that? You know, and that's where I also love seeing, and I, I, 
I speak to this when I sat um, at my grandmother's bedside and the liberation of love that was expressed in that second that all of us, my brother, my mom, and I all knew the moment she died. And this spiritual kind of, like you're saying, this, this feminine sort of like energy that just lifted and knowing she was liberated. And even my mother's instinctual, because, you know, she kind of held on until, um, until she knew we were all there. And even, you know, being morphined up and all that, she opened her eyes, made eye contact with each of us. And then my mother instinctively leaned over and was like, I give you, here's your permission to go. Because so many of us hang on because we're just looking for that permission. Um, and literally she just closed her eyes and, and that it was just beautiful. And I know obviously not all deaths are like that, but I thought, wow, this is such a, it can be a beautiful experience. Um, and that kind of got me curious about this thought of liberation versus the ego kind of like, I'm not ready for you to go. And that's actually with, again, with this maid conversation up here, you know, people are like, well, I'm not ready, but what if the, the patient is? You know, it's their lives, their bodies, which also gets into the, you know, obviously other body choices and, and laws around that. But, um, but what if, again, what if we saw it more as a liberation versus holding on, right? The let go or be dragged sort of thing. Um, so for me, again, that's like just a feminine, which you can call, you know, it's like the yin yang or the, you know, shack, you know, it's for me, it's just that other side. You're saying that 180 it doesn't have to be genders. Um, but for me, just because I feel like the narrative that we have, or at least I grew up with, um, was of that masculine, huge presence, Grim Reaper, bad, you know. So what's the opposite for me of that is, yeah, this kind of liberation, more loving, compassionate. Um, that's going to happen. That's why I have that, like, on the header of my website, like, spoiler alert, 100% of us, stats are still true, are going to die. So why, yeah. why are we so scared of it? Which yeah, usually, or even so intent on fighting it. Yeah. And that's why I say, like, if you look at, and that's why I try to use death as a tool, the begin at the end, what might some deathbed regrets be of yours? And this has actually been liberating <laughs> for clients who have done this work, where uh, I love this story of a friend of mine who did it. Um, and she had an invitation to go to a, a wedding, uh, a good friend of hers wedding in South Africa. And she's like, oh, I really want to go. I want to bring my son. But of course, and all the excuses, right? It's going to be like $5,000. I don't know if I have the time to get away and all of blah, blah, blah. And I literally pulled up her intake form for the death coaching. And that's one of the questions. What might a deathbed regret be? And hers, Shelby verbatim, was not taking my son to my favorite places in the world. And South Africa has that and Brazil are like her two favorites. So I read it back to her. And you can just imagine she's like, ah. Oh, man <laughs> you caught me <laughs> so yeah so it was great because the next morning she emailed she's like i booked the plane tickets they had the whole trip paid off before they even left and as you can imagine it was the most beautiful trip her and her son had ever you know ever taken so that's why i was like isn't that cool to use that thinking about well might this be a deathbed regret of mine like using that death concept as a tool for how are you living your life because i think that's really what death asks you because I think that's why we fear it so much right it's like oh well I haven't done the thing I didn't go to uh, you know Africa I didn't start my business I didn't write that book I didn't do this and that's why you have this you know time crunch and then it's like okay well what if I told you you were going to die in six months what would you change about how you're living now yes yes I have to well grief growers I have to confess to you that my first book permission to grieve is a result of 
using mortality as a motivator because I, <laughs> I need a lot of reasons to get going with something. And so, or I have so many projects going on at once. I'm like, I don't know which one to finish. And so they all kind of take priority simultaneously. And I, I always try and play this mental game with myself. And I really started playing it as I was writing this book, because I was like, if I die tomorrow, what am I going to regret the most? And it was the fact that this book was not out in the world. And I kept going back to it and, and editing it and sending it off to my editor and redesigning the cover and, and working with all the, you know, the people doing the ebook and the audiobook and everything. And I was like, just put the thing out into the world. <laughs> and when I did, I was like, oh my God, it's out there. That's amazing. It exists. Yeah. And now I don't have this. I have other books inside of me that want to be written, but there's not this deathbed regret of, I never got to write a book that saw the light of day because I did. I wrote a book yeah. and it saw the light of day and it's imperfect and there's typos and it's out there in the world and some people don't like it and that's okay. And, um, and even just talking about it now, I'm like, that's not, weighing on me anymore yeah. um, to do the thing I've always wanted to do. And I wanted to say too, I think death is scary to a lot of people because if they consider their deaths more, they would stop doing things. I think a lot of people think about deathbed regrets and it's like, oh, I want to go on this trip or I want to write the book or I want to, you know, have children or I want to, you know, move across the country or whatever it is. But a lot of people are like, I would quit my job. I would stop talking to my mother-in-law. I would, um, you know, get my health stuff figured out. Like they would stop ignoring things that they kind of dog made a mess in the living room. It's the dog's looking away. Yeah. You know perfectly well that like they're in trouble, but like, they're not going to admit that something needs looking at. Um, very much that energy of if I actually consider my death, I have to acknowledge that I'm not happy with my life. And that's often scarier than how do I save $5,000? Because that's more of like, that's logistics. We can figure that out. Yeah. But in terms of stopping doing things either because we expect them of ourselves or other people expect them from us yeah. can be enormously hard. And I imagine that's a lot of the work that you do. As exactly. Well. And that's where I come in. Yeah, exactly. Cause that's overwhelming, you know? Um, and we don't know where to start and yeah, so that's precisely why, again, I just begin at the end, you know, so helping you think again, just using death as a tool. If we were to think about that sort of stuff, like how was a catalyst for you? It actually helped propel me to the summit of Kilimanjaro. I remember I was so freaking tired. And I remember because I was climbing it for um, the cancer hospital here who saved my life. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, I'm climbing for those people that are in that hospital right now who would in a nanosecond trade places with me, even though I was like so tired <laughs> and going, I can do it. I can do it. So it was a motivator literally up a mountain you know, that way as well. And so using that, I'm like, that is such a, a cool energy. Um, yeah. To be as a catalyst for you, it doesn't have to be um, an overwhelm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, um, I think a lot of people perceive using death as a motivator as morbid. I'm like, no, that's the thing that lights the fire under my butt more than anything else mm -hmm. is knowing one day I'm going to die. I'm like, then I have a lot of stuff to do. Um, a kind of twofold question with that. So where do we start? If, if we're considering our deaths right now, grief growers are listening and they're like, holy crap, I'm really not happy with my life. Whether it's because I haven't done something or because I'm still doing something I really don't want to do. And that's overwhelming. And so I guess I'm asking, how do we shift from overwhelmed to actually, um, moving to a place of change in, in the real world, as opposed to imagining it in our heads. Um, and then alongside that, how do we, hmm, I guess, how do we prevent the, the anxiety that death is coming from 
overtaking us. And so there's like the overwhelm of, I need to change my life. And then there's the anxiety of death could be happening tomorrow as well. And so there's like two different kinds of anxiety, <laughs> but they live next to each, next door to each other. Yes. Yeah. So for the, the first question, I would say by taking action. So exactly as you're saying, like even just thinking about it now and everyone's different, right? So for me, journaling, I love to journal. So I'd be like, and actually, oh, actually that's one thing they can do is on my website, do death differently. If you click on that in the services uh, tab, you can download the first module for free. And in there is a bunch of coaching questions, journaling prompts and that sort of thing. So actually, that'd be a great action <laughs> they could take. How cool. Um, and that one's built, that course is all built on the chakra system. So if you are a spiritual baby um, like me, then you'll resonate with um, the root chakra and the sense of security and 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 family and home and, and safety that we have in that, that obviously gets really rattled um, with the thought of death. And then the second question was, oh, anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's, oh, and again, this is back to my, my yogi self, but it's, it's breath work. So whenever you can label it, so even if that might be the first step for some people is labeling, labeling that, okay, like, what is it? Is it anxiety? Is it fear? Is, you know, what is coming up for me? And they're always sensing in the body where that might be. For some, it's the stomach. Maybe it really makes your stomach get tied up in knots. Others, it might be accelerated heart. Um, others feel like a, a, a dryness in their throat. So wherever that might be coming up for you, just a- acknowledge an awareness that it is happening. I'm just breathing into it. And I was just on the exhale, whatever it is you've labeled, just picture it coming out of your mouth and just dissipating like a fog in front of you. And just keep rinsing and repeating that breath until you start to feel a little bit lighter. And that's actually for me, like, again, that awareness acknowledgement of death, it may be, you know, coming up as anxiety, but that's actually you taking those first steps into acknowledging and wearing, wearing, (laughs) it's a verb now. Um, um, And that awareness of it that will help you lean more into the acceptance and that integration of, of death in your life. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love both of those. Um, and I, the next question I wanted to go into was about judgment and criticism mm. because especially for people in the aftermath of loss, they've done the thinking, they know how they want to change their lives. They start putting these changes in place and then they start getting this pushback from family, friends, bosses, coworkers, church members, other spiritual leaders, children, just people in their lives who are not on board with the ways in which they're changing their lives. Um, And I wonder kind of how we can respond to things like that, because in my mind, people freak out for two reasons. One, because their picture of who you are is changing. And so when I changed after the death of my mom and my friends would push back, they're like, this is not how we're used to seeing you. And that's freaky. Or it's, I'm afraid to change my own life. So I'm going to push back against you changing yours. And so I wonder if you have tips, tools, stories, anything alongside that. Right? Yeah. And that's going to happen regardless of any change or the the motivation for change in your life. Because mm-hmm. people are going to get so used to seeing you. You know, I was always <laughs> the people pleaser. Let me put everything else that you need ahead of mine. And as soon as I start saying things like, well, no, that doesn't work for me. What? But, but you always help me move. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, that's not. <laughs> you know. So you're always going to have that even if death isn't involved, um, which I guess actually is a death of an old version of you which um, is, again, necessary, right? When you think about the cycles of life, like I joke about, you know, we don't wear these outfits that we, you know, made us feel super hot in our teens. Like we wouldn't wear that stuff now, you know? Like we need to evolve and move forward. And, and to your point, people that aren't evolving and changing as well, 
are going to push back against that. So what I would suggest for your listeners is actually another thing they could download on my website. Yeah, it's the absolute cornerstone of everything I do in my coaching and it's your core values. Because as long as you have the absolute clarity and conviction of your core values, you can get pushed and shoved by anyone, but you're going to be able to stand firm in those because like, this is what I know to be true for me. So if mm. you don't like that, whatever I like, I, one of mine is honesty, you know? So, and actually also helps with discerning of decisions and that sort of thing. Cause if I know someone's lying to my face, <laughs> I can just go, Oh, right. I value honesty. And obviously they're actually back to the Kilimanjaro story. I wanted to, <laughs> to like punch in the nose, my guide, because I was like, how oh, much longer? And he's like 10 minutes. I'm like, and then, you know, 15 would go by. I'm like, David, like how much longer? He's like 10 minutes. I'm like, oh my God, this is like the most grueling thing ever. <laughs> and that was the thing. I just wanted honesty. I wanted him to say, you know what? It's going to be another 45 minutes, you know, but he just kept doing yes. that 10 thing. And I'm like, just tell me the truth. <laughs> but then, right, being able to know that, yeah, he was just telling me what I needed to hear in that moment allowed me to kind of let go of that more. Like, I value <laughs> honesty, you value just getting me to the top of the mountain. Or whatever. Yes, and I'm right. like, he values getting people to their goals through whatever yeah, means exactly. possible, including deception. <laughs> exactly. And it's neither right or wrong. That's the thing with values, right? And that's, you know, we talked a little bit about money before, like it's, um, you know, we can see it as a bad thing or as a good thing. It's just, whatever resonates with you. Like even when I did my values, I really fought against rest. I'm like, really? Cause I like napping. Come on. I'm like, that's wimpy, you know? <laughs> and like, Oh, you need a nap. And then I, I really, but it just kept coming to the top and that's what you'll find when they, when they download this and do it. It's kind of like you're panning for gold through all your values. Like, yes. And, and rest just kept coming up. And I was like, fine, <laughs> fine rest. <laughs> But then I looked at it as what are supporting values. And that actually for me is balance. That's health. Because if I, Shelby, if I don't get my six to eight hours, I am unbalanced. I will literally get sick not long after. So I was like, wow. So rest is really a core one for me. And then I shifted again, like reframing to it's my superpower. Because I can have 10 minute power nap and be right as rain after I can fall asleep on a plane. Like I'm like, this is super cool. But what I had, you know, the story I'd made for (laughs) the first 20 years of my life was that it was a wimpy thing because you should hustle hard and grind and, you know, exhaust yourself. And I'm like, eh, no. So I kind of go counterculture to that, right? Like I always say, nothing's our most underutilized tool. Well, and here's me stepping in uh, again with like grief as the divine feminine. I'm like, this is an old patriarchal view of you should always be hustling, always be achieving, always be accomplishing. And if you're not, then you're failing. If you're sleeping, you're failing. Yeah. Um, and and then in the in the feminine aspect of it or the softer, more human aspect of it, there is, uh, if we're not sleeping, we all become monsters, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's so much even research now, I'm thinking immediately of like Ariana Huffington and, and people like that who are releasing these books on why we sleep and why sleep is so important and, and really what happens within the brain and within the body and within the psyche that improves 
waking life when we sleep. So I'm like total nap advocate also. I'm a plane sleeper and it's a problem. I tell people, I'm like, I'm the worst navigator in the world because as soon as you put me in a car and it starts rumbling on the interstate, I am out like a like. So you better know where you're going because I am of no use to you whatsoever. So then they also um, get DJ privileges, yes. right? You have to work. They can just They also get DJ <laughs> podcast, whatever privileges. Absolutely. As long as I get my little pillow and my my like Victor's on, on my feet. I'm like, I am toast out for the day. But yes. Um, and I think that's something that happens a lot in life after loss too, is there's a renegotiating of core values. It's like what I used to value and prioritize. And then what I value and prioritize now. And there's this interim period. There's like this unknown period of like, I'm not really sure what my core values are. And I wonder if you can say anything to people who are, um, kind of in that chasm between two solid identities or two mm-hmm. solid uh, trajectories of like maybe how to inch towards their next core values or what to do in that gap space. Yeah. And actually that's um, something I even talk about is minding that gap, you know? So we also mm-hmm. have our professed values and then how we're actually living. So the- <laughs> expectation versus reality. <laughs> well, and that's- I love this. I do this in my work oh, also. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, because, and even actually that's how I kept rumbling with rest was you know, I'm like, okay, well, uh, you know, and again, this is more a societal thing where it's like, well, obviously I value health. And it's like, okay, well, what am I doing every day to ensure that my health is a priority? And I was like, well, I shower, <laughs> uh, brush my teeth, that's hygiene, you know, like, but that's where I'm like, oh gosh. Okay. Yeah. My gap for what I, what I say is a value of health when I really drill it down, it's rest, you know? So Again, it's all about taking action, um, which is the coach in me, right? Like it's moving forward. So if you do find your gap is quite large, that's okay. And again, like we're laughing, it's the knowing laughter. Like we all do this, but how can you then take one small step towards, so let's go back to the health room, right? So if it is like, okay, well, you know what my nutrition or my sleep or what can you do? Or maybe it's meditation because you're always like in your head. So what's the one thing? And that's, oh, it's one of my absolute favorites of one of the yoga sutras too, is choose, focus, sustain. Choose one thing, because that's where we also tend to get overwhelmed, right? It's like, well, I could, I could make a salad, and then I can go for a run, and then I can get to bed early. And it's like, just choose one of those. It's by giving yourself permission for that, because again, with this world, we're so like, let's go, let's hustle, let's do the things. And it's like, but choose one sustain it over time. You can decide how long that is. Maybe it's two weeks, maybe it's a month, maybe it's a day. I don't know. Um, sustain that and just focus on that one thing. But it's so hard, right? Because like, we're like, but I can do 50. But are, you know, let's just choose one, get that. It was kind of like learning, you know, to brush your teeth. It's awkward or quitting smoking, right? It's awkward at first, then you keep doing it daily, show up daily, keep doing it, and then it becomes habitual like anything, right. right? And then that will be so like, yeah, maybe you are the person that then has, you know, fish Fridays or whatever it is. Like that's going to be your your way to more nutrition. Then only then can you add one more thing in, and then choose and focus, sustain that, and keep going. You know, so doesn't need to be that overwhelmed of like, oh my god, look at the size of the gap between professed values and what I'm doing. What's one thing, one thing that'll push you towards the value that you want to, yeah make a priority in your life. Yeah. And I'm, well, I'm laughing internally because I think we all know these people who on January 1st are like, I'm going to reinvent my whole life. And then they're good for, we all take high low bets of how long it's actually going to last. And this is a terrible human thing that I do. Um, and usually it's about 
two days, about 48 hours. Yeah. Because uh, once they get to that third day, it's it's off the wagon. Or they, they have a pretty good stint. But by June, you're like, hey, so what happened to uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> whether it's, you know, whether it's going to the gym, walking outside, reading 50 books, whatever it is. Um, and I have this temptation for myself because it's so fun to live in the land of the imagination where anything is possible and you have endless hours in the day and endless energy and endless information and endless friends and endless money. <laughs> and then you come into the realm of the physical and you're like, oh crap, I've got a shoestring and a bus pass and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and one tennis shoe. <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out how to do life with these things yeah. um, and accomplish them. And I, I love this habit of I wrote down choose, focus, sustain, because it's almost like you add something in and once it becomes invisible or goes on autopilot, then you can add something else in. And it's almost, um, it's a more integrated and slower and human way to approach it as opposed to I'm going to wake up one day and everything's going to be different because even that can be a shock to our, our spirits, our energy, our, um, our brains. It's like, we can't adapt to a new thought immediately, except only in certain cases. I know the author Gretchen Rubin talks about having lightning bolt moments where people read something, hear something, see something, experience something and their whole life changes. She said, people have lightning bolt moments, maybe once or twice Mm -hmm. in their whole lives where somebody sees like a documentary and then they're instantly vegan or when somebody has a child, they find out they're pregnant and they stop smoking instantly. And so she's like lightning bolt moments. She's like, they don't happen very often, but when they do, people change their lives drastically. The rest of us humans and the rest of the big changes we make in our lives are these gradual, I have to make it convenient for myself. I have to incorporate it into my life. I have to essentially forget that I'm doing it at all. And then I can look at and change something else. Um, And that's really tricky because I think for a lot of people, they feel like the experience of grief was so hard, so bad, so traumatic that it doesn't seem like doing enough to pull yourself out of the hole that grief has dropped you in. Um, and, and that's really hard. I, I do this exercise with my, um, my grief growers in a program called Life After Loss Academy, where I talk about reclaiming 1% of your day, which is literally 10 minutes of your life. And I was on a live call with my students and they were like, I'm ha- really having a hard time getting this. I don't know what to do with my 10 minutes. Um, and they're, they're like, I have a bunch of ideas and a lot of things that I could do, but I just can't motivate myself to do it. And some voice in the back of my head was like, does this feel stupid? or useless, like it's not enough to impact Mm -hmm. your grief. And she was like, you, she's like, I wouldn't call it stupid. Like that's the word that you're going to choose. But she's like, yeah, it doesn't feel like it's going to do anything to help. Um, And so it really pointed out the power of the small, because when I started reclaiming 10 minutes of my day in grief, it started being almost like a security blanket of no matter what else happens for the other 16 hours, I'm awake. I have 10 minutes where I know exactly what's happening. I know where I am and I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And that core, that basis foundation of safety or um, certainty, or even in a twisted way, kind of like control, or this belongs to me. Um, I was like, from here, over the course of three and a half years, I'm like, I'm going to use this as a launch pad to start to do other things that take longer than 10 minutes and are things I want to do in my life. But this idea of small change just doesn't feel like enough Yes, you're correct. It doesn't feel like enough, but the reality and the the neurological science shows us mm-hmm. that it is. Exactly. And and that sustainability. Yes. Right? Because I think that's where we tend to get, like you're saying, the January 1st, you know, woohoo, let's do the things. It's very fiery energy, right? It's like, here we go. And that's not sustainable. We know that. You're not going to pack a salad every day and 
ride your bike for three hours. And like, that's just not. And then conversely, um, kind of in the winter, you know, of the seasons, it's more very um, introspective and slower and like a rock in the river, you know, and that's not sustainable either. So we need to find that more happy medium, which is exactly how we get there is those one little steps either from either side, either it's from the fiery side or from the, like we're saying more in grief, it's more that, that really slow, um, dark, cold kind of feeling uh, of winter. And then just, yeah, how can we, even as you look again, I, that's why I love using nature as a reference. Like, well, look at the flowers don't boom, pump up like, you know, overnight. <laughs> it's like, oh, you see a little bud. And that gives you a bit of hope. You're like, oh, spring's coming. And then you see like over the weeks and the buds start on the trees and you're like, oh my gosh. And then, then that's kind of every experience um, of loss. I mean, personally, that I've been through, that's how it goes. I want it to be faster. I wish there was a bippity boppity boo, here's the change. And I feel better. Uh, but no, it's that slow, right? It's the tortoise in the hare. It's, you know, I'm going to take these little slow measured steps forward that just get me closer to whatever my goal is. Um, and as you said before, to the lightning bolt reference, yeah, for sure that can happen. And those are amazing. But I always tell my clients, it's really more like twinkle lights, you know, like the little fairy lights that one little light will come on. And then another one, and then soon enough of those string up together that it illuminates the whole room. So even though it might be feeling, you know, pretty dark, and we want the lightning bolt, we want the flash. It's really more, and again, it's those small little, yeah, light efforts that really add up, and and those are what are sustainable um, as well. Um, and then also just circle back, even if you are, because <laughs> I know we're kind of in that peak time. I think even scientists said it was. So January 26 or something like that, where they've actually realized where most people do fall off of New Year's resolution resolutions. Um, as we said before, it's not failure. It's not failure. You just tried and now you're just learning from that. So maybe I did go too hard, too fast, too soon. What can I do that will again, just be one step below that. So maybe, you know, I'm not doing five salads a week. It's going to be one, <laughs> you know, or whatever mm -hmm. that is that will just give you that permission to dial it back. And then conversely, if you're on the other end of the spectrum, more in that wintry kind of stage, what's one thing that will help you feel better? So maybe it's wearing bright colored clothes. As I'm wearing a black hoodie and black pants today, but like maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe it's that's that's the one thing. Or maybe you, you know, have a whatever it is that will make you feel better and put you more towards your goal. Um, so what's a a habit or a practice that you've employed after a loss that's tremendously helped you? Oh my god! And we can get some juices and ideas flowing here. I I kind of mentioned my ten minutes. I would read a little, um, like a one of those tear off devotional calendars, yeah. and I would just let myself sit on my bed for ten minutes and either close my eyes and meditate or just think about it. Because sometimes I felt like my brain was too fast to really meditate and be happy about myself meditating. Because there's meditation, and then there's how you feel about yourself mm -hmm. meditating, which are two totally different things. So I'd let myself just sit in my bed for 10 minutes. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to put my shoes on. It's time to go. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's just an example of mine. But I know um, there are a lot of ways that people have started to reclaim themselves in their lives again after a loss. I would say I'm going to go with a more very recent one of mm -hmm. community care. So Real, I mean, <laughs> so this is also going to go back to, I have perfectionist tendencies, Shelby, which is why Brene Brown, like when she wrapped language around perfectionism, I was like, oh, this is me. Um, but one of the kind of shadow sides of that is asking for help. 
I sucked at asking for help. Um, and only by giving myself permission to reach out. And um, recently, like in last month, this really came forward where, wow, the power of, again, acknowledging that things aren't great right now. Life isn't always shun- you know, sunshine, glitter, and rainbows. And really honoring that honoring the grief that wanted to come up because I was textbook not wanting to look at it. Like we just said at the beginning, you know, it's like, nope, another day that's going to, you know, I'll deal with that later. But it just kept coming up for me. So when it did, instead of my normal tendency to isolate, I reached out, which was awkward. As we're saying with anything, right? It's a little awkward at first, like trying to quit smoking. It's going to be awkward. But the more I reached out and just shared my stories with people that I really trusted, the support and love that came through that really, really helped me. Whereas normally I would have, um, yeah, just like, I know what to do. I've got all the tools, like, right. Like I coach on this, I know what to do, but for me personally, it was more of the, the reaching out to my community, um, to help me. Yeah. There is that temptation that because I talk about grief, I know everything about it. So I don't need any help. And I'm like, Oh, that's the biggest pile of BS I've ever heard in my life. Oh, Shelby, <laughs> and yes. yet, um, yeah. sometimes that's where I look. So I insisted when I first started doing this work, I, I, um, released this article called, I still wake up crying, uh, because that's a reality for me. Like I teach this because I need it, mm-hmm. not because it's gone away and because I'm good at it or anything like that. But I sense the same is true for you, but there's almost this notion of, I should know what to do yeah. as I do this all the time. Um, death to the shoulds. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So as I said, that was a very recent one for me where I was just realizing that power and, and honoring the, the courage that takes to reach out as well. Yes. Yeah. And I hear so many times from grief growers and listeners of this podcast of like, I'm just so afraid to reach out because I'm afraid nobody will get it. And um, something that I tell people, and I don't know if you might have some wisdom for them as well, is that you don't have to say everything that's going on, but even just saying I'm having a hard time right now. And would it be possible for you to insert request here? Um, And it doesn't have to be a big request either. Can you come over and walk my dog? Can you, you know, pick up my mail? We're going out of town. Can you, um, cover my desk for 10 minutes at work. Like it, like they, they don't have to be, you know, make a seven course dinner for me and my family and the babysitter. <laughs> like <laughs> um, it, it doesn't have to be big, but it feels big. Making these requests from others feels big. And even knowing what you need can mm-hmm. be overwhelming as well. Right. Um, and to your point, I always just say that the, speci- the specificity of, cause people always say, well, let me know whatever you need. I mean, are you actually going to pick up the phone? You know, when, when you really, like I said, that's what I struggle with. I'm like, Oh, mm-hmm. I don't want to burden them. I don't want you know, and reaching out to people that have earned that right to hear your story. Cause we can shame grief, right? Why aren't you over it yet? <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. knowing who you can lean on. And that's again, why I kind of emphasize the community care because you need to have whatever those one, two, three people in your life that over time, they have shown up for you, can be there for you, are the non-judgmental, compassionate sounding boards that you need when you are in struggle. And that's who you lean on. And also helping them by saying, yeah, can you just come and, I mean, I'm just looking at this winter and like all the snow, but can you come shovel the walk? Yeah. Can you come take my dog out? Um, that's going to help bridge, right? That's going to help 
close that gap between you and them because they may not know. I guess I had a I had a post that called Beyond the Casserole. Like how to really show up that's not just a casserole. Mm-hmm. There are a million ways we can do it. Um, but also the griever knowing what they need. And sometimes I'll just say, like, you know what, I'm having a tough day. Can you just send me some funny gifts or like puppy videos or whatever it is that's just gonna help yeah. you feel better? And maybe another time it's like, I need you to get me out of the house. So let's go to a you know yoga class or I don't know, let's go for a walk or dancing or whatever it is that I like maybe I need to physically move in that moment. Maybe I need you to come over and we're gonna watch a sappy rom com and cry together. You know, yeah. it'll shift every, as we know, every minute to every day. And even people asking that as well, you know, like, how are you feeling today? What can I help you with today? Um, can you just help to, yeah, bring it a little more focused? Yeah, small things that make an enormous difference is asking today in this moment right now but again if you could have anything in the world right now yeah what would it be and and honoring the courage that takes Mm -hmm. because again that's you know courage is also built up over time it's all those little steps it's not going to be as big lions roar you know it's like how can okay well today i need this am i brave enough to ask for it okay let's try it let's see and what do i need and anyways i'm repeating but yeah yeah little things yeah little things that's perfect. I'm wondering um, what's coming up next for you on your deathbed regrets mm, list. Right. Oh, I mean like me personally? Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, oddly enough, so get this, kind of a trippy story. When I was in Australia, I was working for the Australian Federation of AIDS Organizations as a temp because I'm backpacking. That was the time when my friend Tracy was killed in that car accident. And I was not dealing. I was the textbook, keep busy, just throw yourself into work. I'm a temp, right? Like, <laughs> I do not need to be there past 5 p.m. And especially in Australia, where they have the like, live, you know, like work to play kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. And I remember my boss is like, hey, why are you here? It's 510. You know, and I'm like, oh, I'm just finishing these emails. That's all good. And she's like, yeah, I've booked you a therapist appointment because you're not dealing with the, the death of your friend. And I'm like, no, oh, I'm fine. Ah, whatever. Um, and anyway, she forced me to go to that. And the care and compassion that woman showed me when she knew I didn't have money for therapy and really stuck with me over the years. I mean, because that was in 2001. So we connected on good old Instagram. Um, and she sent me this picture because she's now in South Africa. So here we go for a circle of South Africa again. Um, but she's like, yeah, I'm just sitting here looking out over the ocean. And I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, I have a place in South Africa now. I was like, well, why haven't I been there? So for me, that's the next thing that'll be happening for me because that would be a regret if I didn't get to reconnect with her in a place that I've never been before. So yeah, so we're in talks about when that's going to happen. So that's so cool. Yeah, right. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. Life, thus we come full circle. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that always makes me really happy. I know. I know. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Cool. So that's next. I mean, yeah. And then also converting, um, so the Do That Differently module that people, again, can download on there. I'm going to be turning that into like a full-blown online course with more support and, and that sort of thing on there too. So that's what's happening business-wise. But yeah, travel, I've got some itchy feet happening. So Yes, yeah. <laughs> but the thing that pops up right now, like if I die in six months, what would I be yeah. really mad about not accomplishing and and to have that be something on the list oh so cool well tammy let people know where they can find you and your work and the do death better guide and etc cetera, etc cetera, because <laughs> i know you've got lots of resources yeah it's inner travel coaching 
um.com and yeah you'll find everything on there on facebook and instagram i love connecting with people on there but um yeah and then there's you know the contact form and newsletter i finally have gotten out to like getting <laughs> out on a regular basis because i always feel overwhelmed with all that um so even if they just want to connect uh through there getting the newsletter but um yeah innertravelcoaching.com I love it. Tammy, thank you so much for coming on coming back today. This has been so much fun. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Yeah. We could go on forever. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Thanks. So that's all for this episode of coming back. Thank you so much to Tammy Falds for joining me to talk about making death less scary and how we can all use our final destination to change how we live right now. You can find Tammy's work at innertravelcoaching.com, where you can find her Do Death Differently guide. And of course, you can find that link in the show notes, Grief Growers. If you'd like to get online grief support for just $3 a month, pledge to support this podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash Shelby Forsythia. You'll instantly unlock access to weekly grief journaling prompts and monthly live calls with me. A quick reminder that our next live grief support call is happening on Monday, March 30th at 7pm Central Time, and I hope to see you there. If you liked what you heard today, subscribe to Coming Back on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and tell a friend about Coming Back, because you never know what someone you love is going through. Thank you to Addie Goldstein, who composed our theme music. You can find me on Facebook at Shelby Forsythia Intuitive Grief Guide, Instagram at Shelby Forsythia, or simply shelbyforsythia.com. If you'd like to leave a question or comment for a future show, email me at shelby at shelbyforsythia.com. As always, my dear grief growers, it was so beautiful sharing this space and time with you today. I see you. I'm proud of you and the work that you're doing in the world. And I love you. Because even through grief, we are growing. books about how grief changes us, but what about how grief changes our friendships? I'm working on a new book right now about how grief impacts our closest, longest, and most intimate relationships with others. If you'd like to share a story about how grief has changed your friendship, made it more awkward, or ended it entirely, please head to shelbyforsythia.com friends to fill out a submission form. You might just have your story published in my next book, All About Grief and Friendships. Once again, that link is shelbyforsythia.com friends with an S. Thank you so very much in advance for allowing me to read, witness, and learn from your stories on grief and friendship.